today going to learn about the, the clothing of the high priest, one piece of clothing. You see last week's parsha, we were, uh, we were more concentrating on the building itself. That was the parsha Truma. Parsha Tetzaveh is a parsha that speaks about, the, or partially about the clothing of the high priest, of the priest in general, and the high priest also in particular. The, the high priest used to, used to wear eight pieces of clothing. One of them that we're going to talk today about is the tzitz. What is the tzitz? Anybody who knows what the tzitz is? Rav, go ahead. It says it's an undergarment with uh, fringes on the corners. Uh, undergarment? What do you mean? Why it's undergarment? Well, not the tzitzis, if you, or the talus is one thing, but the tzitzis is... No, no, tzitz is not tzitzis. Um, it's the headplate. It's, it's what? It's a headplate. It's a gold headplate. The gold headplate, that's tzitz. And it's interesting that you mentioned tzitzis because it has a connection, but we'll speak in a minute. Tzitz is something that you wore on his head. I'll show you a picture of it in a minute, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Right here, you see, on the right and on the left, you see there is a picture, uh, uh, like almost like a crown that you put on your forehead. You see it on the right side and on the left side. This is what it basically was. Something on your forehead that the high priest is wearing, and it's written in it, Kodesh La Hashem, holy to God. What does this mean? And it's called the tzitz. One of the explanations, what, what it was all about. Anybody who saw him, Kodesh Lashem. Uh, good morning, Leslie. Good morning. Sorry, I'm late. No problem. We'd love to I'm have here. you. <laughs> yeah. um, there is a, the, the high priest used to wear um, a, a a crown, something on his forehead, then it's written on it, holy for God. You hear me, right? Yep. And it's uh, holy for God means, then who is the holy for God? It means that the high priest is holy for God, but the high priest never looked, was never able to see his forehead. It was obviously not just for the high priest, it was for everybody else not just he should go around and brag about himself that he is holy to God. It's a reminder for every Jew that he is holy to God. There is a verse in the Bible, Kodesh Israel La Hashem. The Jewish people are sanctified, are holy to God. Then this is really a reminder to the Jews. Anybody who saw the high priest remembered that he himself is holy to God and he did tshuva. That was a wake up call for every Jew whoever saw the high priest. Then this was on the forehead of the, of the priest, of the, not the, every priest, only the high priest. And the idea was that he, the, the, it's called seats, why it's called seats. Like Rab said before, he, he, he confused it with tzitzit. Tzitzit, what, why is called tzitzit, tzitzit? There is a word in Hebrew, leatzitz. Latzitz means to pick between the, the cracks, to look. And just as tzitzis, we're asking, it's a reminder, anybody who sees the tzitzis remembers God. Anybody who, can, who sees the, the tzitz, the head plates, the, um, the forehead plates, if you want, then uh, this is to be made, just should be able to, the, anybody who looks on the coin gadol, should remember that he, the person who looks, is only to God. That's what the tzitz is all about. Now we'll learn a little bit from inside and we'll go from there because we'll learn a very interesting discussion. And the first one that I see on my screen is, um, is uh, Steve, go ahead, Steve, source number one. You, uh, source one. you shall make a head plate of pure gold and you shall engrave upon it, engraved like a signet ring, sacred to God. You shall place it on a cord of turquoise wool and it should be next to the turban. It should be worn right near the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead and he shall bring forgiveness for errors in the sacred offerings of the children of Israel consecrate as holy gifts. 
It should always be on his forehead to bring them favor before God. Then this is a reminder to the Jews, <coughs> to the Jews that they're supposed to, um, I'm sorry, to the Jews that they're supposed to be, uh, they are sacred to God. And it's a reminder to God that the Jews are his sacred people, are his holy people. It goes on both ways. That's what it is. That's what the text tells us in this portion. Let's continue. Now comes from the Talmud. The Talmud is trying to describe exactly how what seats look like. Um, when do you want to continue? Source number two. It was taught the head plate is like a smooth plate of gold. Its width is two finger breadths and it circles the forehead from ear to ear. It reads sacred to God in two lines. Yud Hey, God's name on the upper line, and Kodesh Lamed, sacred too, on the second, in deference to God's name. Rabbi Eliezer ben Rabbi Yossi said, I saw it in Rome and it had sacred to God written on one line. There is a, an argument in the Talmud if these two lines, Kodesh, the two words, Kodesh Lashem, if they're supposed to be written in one line, or in two lines, you see two pictures. On one side, it's in one line, Kodesh Lashem. On the other side, it's in two lines, Kodesh in the bottom, and the name of Hashem is in top, you see it? This is the argument. Then the Talmud, the Talmud says like this, we know it's in, it's in two lines. We have a tradition that it's two lines. Kodesh in the bottom, Kodesh in La, the word lam, the, the letter lamed, means two, is in the bottom, and the word Hashem is in the top. This is comes Rabbi Lezer, and he says, "I was in Rome. You see, the Roman took away all the all the they took many of the furniture and the and the and the clothing that was in the high priest that the high priest was wearing in the temple." They confiscated and they brought it to Rome. Rabbi Yossi was a generation or two later, and he says, I was visiting in Rome, and I was there in the Vatican, and I saw it, and I'm telling you it was written in one line, right? Somebody, can, then the rabbi said what we learned from our rabbis, what they taught us from our rabbis, we have a tradition that's in two lines. The name of, the, of God is in the top line, the word Kodesh only is in the bottom line comes Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer and he says, I was in Rome and I'm telling you, it was in one line. I saw it. I saw the seats. I went specially to Rome. I went to the Vatican. I'm sure it wasn't easy for him to go in and they should show him the, the furniture of the high priest. You know, they, they say that until today, there is some pieces from the temple. The only place that preserve it is in the, is in the Vatican today. They don't want to show it to anybody, but they have things still from the second temple. Rabbi? Yeah? Is it, is it possible that there was another copy made originally, that there were two? Okay, and let's, were see, let's see what is going on. Then here you see in English, the first opinion, sacred to in the bottom line, God in top. Rabbi Eliezer said, sacred to God in one line, right? Yeah. Okay, now we'll see what Maimonides, he writes Code of Jewish Law. What's the final rule? One line or two lines? Let's see what Maimonides writes. Rabbi, you want to read what Maimonides writes? How was the head plate made? We make a plate of gold, two finger breadths wide that extends over the forehead from one ear to the other. And upon it, we write sacred to God in two lines, sacred to on the lower line and God on the upper one. And what's happening, Maimonides, who is writing God of Jewish law, he was after the Talmud. And he, 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 he ignored the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer, who says, it's not an opinion, he said a fact. Nobody thinks he's a liar. He says a fact. He says, I was in Rome, and I saw it, and I'm telling you that it was in, in one line. He ignores completely his opinion that Maimonides Maimonides, and he writes, it's supposed to be in two lines. Continue to source number four, tries to explain why Maimonides thinks like this. Meiri was one of the 
Rabbi was probably a thousand years ago, or eight hundred, nine hundred years ago. Let's see what he said. Why explains why? No, he wasn't. Yeah, he lived around the same time of Maimonides. He explained why Maimonides ignores Rabbi Eliezer's proof. Go ahead, uh, Bob. Although one of the greatest sages testified that he saw it in Rome, written with one line, the sages did not change their opinion, even in the face of eyewitness testimony. Wow. <coughs> now what does this mean? He tells you, I saw it in Rome. What are you arguing? We saw it in Rome. Still, he doesn't want to reform anything. He says, that's a tradition, and that's, that's the law. And if tomorrow morning we're building a temple, we have to build the, we have to write the letters, the, the, two, the two words on the, on, the, on the head plate of the high priest in, in two lines. But Rabbi Lezer saw it in Rome, what do you mean? He saw a seat in Rome, what do you mean? They ignore it. Why ignores it? What, and that's the discussion that we're going to, to that's what the Rabbi is discussing. Don't you need two witnesses? No. No? Um, we'll see. Give him a chance. Okay, and Michael, you want to read? Thank you. Tradition outweighs testimony. This week's Torah portion states, you shall make a head plate of pearl gold and you will shall engrave upon it. Engrave like a singing ring sacred to God. The Talmud rec records a discussion about how the words sacred to God were written. The head plate is like a plate of gold and it contains two lines. The first line has the God's name and the second line read, sacred too. Russia explained that God's name was placed on the upper line and the word sacred too on the lower line, that no words would be placed above God's name. Mm -hmm. Rabbi Eleazar ben, ben Rabbi Yossi uh, said, I saw it in Rome, it had sacred to God written in one line. Okay, and Rashi says here something very interesting. The reason why we write the name of God in top, because you don't want to write Anything goes on top of the name of God. That's why it's in two lines. Okay, continue. Maimonides writes. Maimonides writes, upon it we write sacred to God in two lines, sacred two on the lower line and God in the upper one. If the words were written on one line, if it, it was valid. There were times when they were written in one line. The Mary. Uh, writes, although one of the you greatest... See, that's interesting. That's a second. It's interesting that Maimonides says there were times they were written in one line. He doesn't ignore it, but he says the law is two lines. Okay, continue. Although one of the greatest sages testified that he saw it in Rome written with one line, the sage did not change their opinion, even in the face of eyewitnesses' testimony. In this debate about uh, writing on the head plate, we see something fascinating. Despite the testimony of Rabbi Lazar, I saw it in Rome and it's sacred to God was written in one line. Maimonides rules according to the first opinion that it should be written in two lines. From the words of the Talmud itself, if we were to disregard the words of Maimonides, there would be room to believe that the sages changed their mind after Rabbi Lazar's testimony in light of the first-hand evidence it had written in one line. But Maimonides chose to follow the initial ruling, which demonstrated that they did not change their opinion after Rabbi Lazar's testimony and, and remained convinced that it was that it is to be written with two lines. You see, in the way it's written in the Talmud, it could be, you could also understand that, that's in, uh, that, that they changed the, the, the accepted Rabbi Eliezer's opinion. It's written the general opinion. Then it's written Rabbi Eliezer says, I saw it in Rome. That's it. That you, if you don't know anything more than the Talmud, you say the rabbis accepted Rabbi Eliezer's opinion. But here we see Maimonides was a, a thousand years after the Talmud. He writes code of Jewish law and he says, we saw what Rabbi Eliezer wrote. And still, we are not accepting his opinion. He said that he saw it in Rome. We are not accepting his opinion. Why? Um, Olga, you want to continue? 
Mm, yes, thanks. Uh, this is also confirmed by the Mary who wrote that the sages did not change their opinion, even in the face of eyewitness testimony. The reason the sages rejected the evidence is because they had a tradition passed down through the generations that sacred to God was written in two lines. They were not swayed by the fact that an eyewitness, a prominent rabbi, claimed that um, to, to have seen a headplate in Rome with one line because it was likely not the headplate of the high priest at all, as uh, we will explain. They were certain based on their tradition that the high priest's headplate was written in two lines. Okay, okay, continue in other words. Mm -hmm. In other words, in the absence of clear tradition about the style of the headplate, there would be room to accept eyewitness evidence to determine how it was written. But if our tradition tells us that sacred to God was written in two lines, there is no room to <clears throat> reject it based on the testimony of an eyewitness. Clearly, he did not see the head plate described in the Torah, but rather a different head plate entirely. However, Rabbi Eliezer himself believed that it was written in one line because he had not heard the above mentioned tradition from his teachers. Okay, what is he saying? Yeah. If we have a fight between tradition and proofs, what is stronger? That's the dialogue. That's the, what's stronger? A tradition that people have from their parents, from their parents, from their parents, or they find a piece of archeology span or the same, or, or, a, or a head plate, and it's written clearly in one line. Then here we learn something very interesting. When the, the Talmud teaches us, Jewish law teaches us, the tradition is stronger than proofs. Sounds normal, what do you think? Here, depends, 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 depends. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, uh, depends what we're looking at and how we want to take it, you know, because I heard uh, once how we know that God, uh, how then Moses brought the Ten Commandments because, and it kind of engraved in my mind that the whole point is like that it was a lot of people there and it was from generation to generation was given to uh uh, from to another generation that it was eyewitnesses of the thing, you know, kind of. And that's a whole point, how we different from something else that's happened in the world with other um, <laughs> re religions and stuff like this. You see that we have that kind of, and that's kind of like eyewitnesses thing, you know, the, that's important part of it. But tradition at, uh, it's kind of holds the whole, our ideas, the whole our beliefs, and whole our behavior together. You know, it depends how you're looking at it. What do you yeah. want to? Very good. Um, there is a, there is even more to it, but let's read the part. Um, let's read. Okay, uh, who is next? Barry, read one more paragraph. The possibility of tribalism. You have to unmute yourself. The possibility that Rabbi Eliezer saw a different headplate is highly plausible. Being a golden adornment, it is very likely that other people fashion similar ones as personal jewelry that wouldn't transgress, transgress the prohibition to create a replica of the temple. Perhaps they wrote sacred to God on one line, unlike the headplate of the temple. It is also possible that even non-Jews fashion head plates for their own deities. Non-Jewish, non-Jews valued the temple and its vessels as well as evident from the fact that Akashverosh himself made use of them at his feast. And why would anyone tell him how to fashion it? It says it like this. That's the, that's that we have in, in Rome a breastplate that looks like the one in the temple doesn't mean that this was the authentic breastplate, uh, headplate that was in the temple. Many people made ornaments, made themselves jewelry that looked like the temple. The temple was a very 
high place to go. It was the coolest place in the world. Everybody wanted to look like the high priest. Every rich man in Jerusalem could, rich, rich people, you know, some rich people have crazy ideas. He wants to, he wants, he wants to have a head plate, finish, go tell him what to do. He, he goes to a, to a professional and he, he orders a head plate made out of gold and he go, walks around with that. You cannot stop him. What are you going to do? Even non-Jews. The nun, because he found in Rome a head plate, it means it's the same head plate that it was in the temple. And usually when somebody used to copy something from the, from the temple, they used to make it a little different. Then we cannot prove on the other end, we have a tradition, as Michael explained, we have a tradition from people who say from rabbis, from their rabbis, from their rabbis, that it was done in two lines. Then because you found a piece of metal that looks like the plate in Rome, it doesn't, we are not going to change what so many people told us that that was the tradition in, in, in the temple. That was the way it's being done in the temple. So Rabbi, is, is there one of these head plates in existence today somewhere or no? Maybe in Rome. Maybe in Rome. I didn't, build, I didn't make one lately. I thought you'd be a high priest and you would have one, Rabbi. Yeah. And beside all the other problems, I'm not a coin. And it makes it a little complicated. Beside oh, okay. a, few, a few other uh, short, uh, shortcomings, beside this, this is one, one of uh, an objective problem. Like the only reason why the only reason why I'm not I'm not a president of the United States because I'm not I was born in America. It's the same thing. That's why I'm not high priest. What do you say? There, um, could there have been a difference between the first and second temples in the in the crown? Listen, my manager says that sometimes it was in one line. My himself said it, but he says that the tradition is. Usually they didn't change, but in general, they didn't change between the first temple and second temple. But in general, the tradition that the rabbi said, they were much closer to the second temple than to the first temple, you understand? The Talmudic rabbis were maybe a hundred years after the second temple. They were 500 years from the first temple. Then the tradition from the second temple were very close. That if the second temple would be in one line, their tradition would be one line, and if it's if it's if it's two lines, obviously that was the the that was the way they did it in the second temple. But this is a question about everything. When we find some uh, proofs, do we change all that we know, or we don't change? That's that's really what the question is. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example, and it's only going to speak about a, a related topic, the menorah. But I want to give you an example about that. Let's say I go to downtown Cleveland, to you who were born in downtown in Cleveland, and I look in the in the office there where they produce the birth certificate, and I find the birth certificate of Rab Apple, but his mother's name is not his mother's name. He was born to different parents, and I find the paper. Here it is. Rab, they lied to you our whole life. It's a lie. It's not your mother. It's not your father. I'm going to change my, you, you're going to change your identity because you found a paper. Maybe the paper was a mistake. That's why they throw it away. And they made another paper. I'm not going to change everything that I know, my parents, my uncles, my aunt, because they found the paper. Tradition, when people tell me, you know where you see it more than everything? You know, the Holocaust denials, what they deny? What is the strongest proof that the Holocaust exists? What do you think? Survivors. The testimony of the survivors. We have videos, we have pictures, we have the crematoriums, we have everything, right? Why we need the survivors? Because everything else you can say it was manufactured. But then people come and tell you, I was there, Mr. A comes, and Mr. B comes, and Mr. C comes, and Mr. D. The biggest, the biggest thing that, what's his name? Um, the guy who made the movie um, Schindler's List. Oh, yeah. Who made Schindler's List, you? Spielberg. Americans, huh? Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. He created the special repository 
for uh, the all, uh, interviewing Holocaust survivors. That's the biggest contribution he did to the Jewish people. Because you can make, you can, you can have films, you can have booths, you can have shoes, you can have ear, you can have whatever you want. Still, people can deny it. The only people they cannot deny is that so many people come with the same story. So many, many, many people. One way or another, in this camp or in this camp, and this thing, in this thing. One testimony, a second testimony, two people lie, three people lie, four people made up, five side. But then you have so many people tell you the same story. Obviously, this is the true story. Then the strongest proof, <coughs> the strongest proof to the existing of the, of the Holocaust is the testimony that people that in the that people tell the story. The same thing is here. When there is a tzitz, we have a tradition from our rabbis who told us that the tzitz was in two lines, and then we find the tzitz in Rome. And so it's in one line written, or a sacred to God in one line. We don't throw away the tradition. We realize that the tradition is stronger than one tzitz that you found in Rome, than, than a physical proof. That's the whole point. Now we go to a second issue, the menorah. Um, you want to read the source number five? I'm sorry, me? Yeah, please. Oh, I didn't hear you. The menorah of Titus? Mm -hmm. Make a candelabra out of pure gold. It shall be formed by hammering it. At its base, um, decorative cups. Spears and flowers must be hammered out of a single piece of gold. Six branches extending from its sides, three branches on one side of the menorah and three branches on the other side. This is written in the text. This is in the Torah. Actually, this is in last week's Parsha. That's okay. Now continue to read the Rashi. Uh, extending from its sides in each direction diagonally, spreading upwards until the full height of the candelabra, i.e. its center branch. They extend outward from the center branch, one above the other. The bottom one is the longest, the one above it is shorter, and the top one is even shorter because they match the height of the middle branch, the seventh from which the six branches extend. Rashi tells us that the menorah was done diagonal. How, you, how is your menorah in the house? Diagonal? The Hanukkah menorah. How are the most Hanukkah menorahs that you know? How they look like? Center is high. How the branches look like? What? The center is the highest. No, no, no. I'm talking about the branches themselves. Are they like this? How they are? They circle. Right or flat, horizontal. Straight line. Are we talking about the Hanukkah? Or the, the, because that's not, I have a, I have a six one. You have a six I, one. Uh, why, why you have a six or one? Or seven. I'll go get it. You have an eight, eight one. Okay. Right? You have an eight one. You have I the, have uh, one for Hanukkah that's with yes. the eight, but I also have one that has seven branches. I'm bring you seven branches. I'm, I'm walking through my house to get it. Hang on. <laughs> okay. Uh, we, have a, we have a Chabad one, which is straight. Oh, oh. See, 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 see what you Because what, what, very good. Chabad, what Chabad believes in. Exactly, very good. What you have, Leslie, is the regular. <laughs> this is, that's a question. How the menorah look like? Like the menorah that Oleg just showed? Right. Or the menorah that you showed. That's okay, exactly wait, I have to walk back upstairs where it's less noisy. Hang on. No problem. Yes, so, then, I mean, this is not for Hanukkah. I thought this was supposed well, to be a replica of what was in the temple. That's the question. What was in the temple? That's exactly the question. What was in the temple? The menorah was the, the how would the branches look like? Like yours, I have a circle. Or the world diagonal, like the Oleg says, the Chabad menorah. Right. Okay. Then, uh, um, uh, Oleg, you want to read the so uh, source number six? Sure. 
six branches. There were six branches extending from the body of the menorah in a straight line as my father depicted them, not in a half circle or others as others maintain. Okay, here is a picture of the menorah that Maimonides himself made. He made a picture of the menorah. You see in this menorah that the branches are diagonal. They are not half a circle. Maimonides believed Rashi, as we read before, he said it was diagonal, as, as, as well as Maimonides. And Maimonides' son, what you just read, Oleg, is a quote from Maimonides' son. He says that my father made the diagonal and not like other people who say it. You see, that's, what, that's what's going on. Right. Here is a nice menorah. You see on this side is the nice menorah that everybody knows. And here is the menorah the way my man destroyed it. 900 years ago, we have the picture with his own handwriting, he did the menorah. He wanted to explain how the menorah looked like. And, and his son, um, um, son Avram, son Abraham, my man the son, he writes, this is the way my father depicted the menorah. And yeah, I know that other people think differently. My father didn't think like this. He thought it's diagonal. Then we have your two opinions. We have Rashi and we have Maimonides. Both of them tell us that the menorah was diagonal. What everybody else thinks, like the menorah that Leslie has, it was half a circle. From where did it come in, this menorah that half a circle? Where they picked up this, this tradition, this uh, image? Well, it's the oldest image of menorah ever found in Israel. It's a half a circle. And yeah. uh, then there is menorah that the Romans took uh, from Israel when they destroyed uh, Jerusalem uh, is a half circle. So there's plenty of image, images, historical images. <coughs> menorah is half yes, circle. you're right. Even the number one, the most famous, is, uh, is uh, the Arch of Titus in Rome okay. until today. The Arch of Titus is a depiction of the Jew. It's written the Judah Kapota, Jewish slaves, Jewish prisoners are coming carrying the menorah. And the menorah, the picture of the menorah there is a half a circle. Here again, we have the same argument. Traditions or archeological, archeological proofs. The same argument, you understand? Um, Go ahead, read number seven, Oleg. Mul says, in the name of a certain elder, the height of the menorah was 18 and breads. The legs and the flowers were three hand threads, and the next two hand threads were bare. He says, that the, he wants to say the menorah had legs. That's what, that's what they want to say. And now like six feet tall. Um, even less. Well, yeah, it yeah. was long. It was probably five feet tall. That's tall. No, it wasn't tall. It was uh, the menorah was not tall. And five feet tall is not tall. So this is meant. It, this isn't like ours. This is meant for standing on the floor. Yeah, should stand on the floor. But yeah. the, 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 the interesting thing that the menorah treats steps. And you don't need three steps to light a menorah if it's five feet tall or six feet tall, you understand? Yes. That's the unusual thing about it. Okay, here is a story about a, a, a coin who came to Titus. Uh, read number eight uh, in Oleg. Yeah. At this point... This is from the book of Josephus. Josephus. Okay. At this point, Joshua, the son of the high priest, Saptai, came to Titus with two of the golden menorahs and that were in the temple, with the golden tables that were in it as well, with the fine garments and garments of the priesthood plates with gold and decorated with diamonds and uh, precious stones. And he gave this all to Titus. So a high priest came to Titus and he gave him two menorahs. Obviously, it's not the menorah that was in the temple. In the temple was one menorah, right? Obviously, there were many other menorahs flying around in Jerusalem and in other places. 
people like just like the tzitz, people made the menorah was the symbol of the Jewish people. The why is the menorah the symbol of the Jewish people? Because that represents the lighting, bringing light to the world. Many people made the menorah, but it doesn't mean that that was the menorah. Then we see the high priest bought many stuff. It was before the destruction of the temple. He came to Titus and he bought him the menorahs. Okay, uh, Ed, you want to read? Thank you. And the real menorah was not round. Now the words of the Mary that eyewitnesses cannot override tradition can apply to the features of the menorah as well. We've previously explained at length that the arms of the menorah, not in a half circle, but in a straight diagonal line, is evident from Maimonides' handwritten depiction. Maimonides' son too, Rabbi Avraham, noted that six branches extended from the body of the menorah upwards in a straight line, as my father depicted them, not in a half circle as others maintain. Rashi concurs in his commentary on the Torah. He writes that the arms reached upwards diagonally in a straight line. This refutes those who say that the menorah had round arms, basing their opinion on the depiction of the arch of Titus. They argue that the designer of the arch was an eyewitness who personally saw the menorah among the other vessels of the temple brought to, Mon, uh, to Rome. However, his depiction contradicts the writings of Maimonides and Rashi, who had received a tradition through the generations that the menorah's arms were straight. We obviously cannot rely on the march on the arch more than on our own tradition. In the words of Meiri, the sages did not change their opinion, even in the face of eyewitness testimony. You see what's going on here? The same story. Maimonides said, Maimonides and Rashi, they knew, the they know how the menorah looks like from tradition. They heard from their rabbis, heard from their rabbis, heard from their rabbis. Why the arch of Titus here, yeah, they bought a menorah from, from Israel. Nobody dis disagree with that. The question is which menorah they bought from Israel. Did they actually bought the menorah in the temple or the, or, the, or the Jews in Jerusalem took the menorah of the temple, hiding it somewhere and replaced it with another menorah that if they, they come and they confiscate the, the stuff from the temple, they will take another menorah. If you have something very, very important to you, the most important thing in your life, mm -hmm. you hide it, you put something like this, and, and, and you, for example, I'll give you an example. You know, there is the, in Israel, there is a, there is Israel Museum in Jerusalem. Anybody of you was in Israel Museum in Jerusalem? You have to go back to Israel. Mm -hmm. um, there is an Israel Museum in Jerusalem. There is the, 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 you know what it's called? The, the what you found in, in, in the Judean desert, the Dead Sea Skulls. You go in there, there is a special glass that the Dead Sea Scrolls are underneath it. You can go and see it, it's in a basement. You go downstairs, I was there in the Israeli Museum, you go downstairs and they give you a tour how it looks. Then you ask, is this the original Dead Sea Scrolls? They told you, no, this is just a picture. This is a copy of it. The real thing is not here. Are you crazy You're going to leave it here? We will, it's hiding in a safe in Israel. Nobody can see it. This is just exactly the way it looks. You understand? Don't think that they just became smart in 1989. They were smart 2000 years ago too. The, the, war, the war against the, the temple was going on for years. And if you know that you know well that if they come into the temple, they will confiscate everything that they have. <clears throat> and your menorah is very important to you. You put the menorah, the original menorah away. You put another menorah and let them take it. How we know that this is not the real menorah? Not just because of the branches. We know it for other reasons. Here, and here we're going to speak about the other reasons why the menorah that's on the Arch of Titus is not the true menorah. So, so we live in a similar place as the debate about when science seems um, to contradict Torah uh, that just means that your science isn't developed enough yet to the point where, where you fully understand. Yes, but this is even easier because what you see, it's sure there were many menorahs. Nobody agreed, disagreed. There were many menorahs. And usually, 
people, when they did something from the temple, they didn't do it exactly like in the temple. They purposely changed it a little bit. It shouldn't be because the temple was only for God. Then to make something exactly like the temple was almost a violation of our relationship with God. Then they did it this way. <coughs> then any other menorah looked differently. Somebody else, I think, wanted to say something? No, I'll just say that you answered the question. I mean, there's just different representations of menorah uh, in Israel at that time, just like we have right now. We have straight line menorahs. We have uh, all kinds of artistic menorahs that, you know, don't necessarily go with a straight line. Exactly. The, the art is all wrong. <laughs> what? It just, it just, it's not necessarily wrong. It's just a different way of doing it. Yeah, you're right. Artists usually give themselves the permission to change things. Uh, they, that's an official, it's called the permission, there is an expression. The, the, the permission of that. Artistic, that license. Artistic license. Artistic license. Thank you. Thank you. You saved me. Artistic license. That they took themselves the license to change it a little bit. But not because we saw it in uh, the Arch of Titus, actually, just for your information, just good to know, was made 15 years after the after they arrived with the with the with the menorah to 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 to, uh, to Rome. 15 years later, they put up the Arch of Titus. But the Arch of Titus was artistic. Even if the menorah was branches, they would make it still round because that was uh, more beautiful. And we have other proofs that the Arch of Titus, if somebody can uh, bring up here the picture, in later the picture from the Arch of Titus, I'll show you other things that are not exactly like uh, the Jewish menorah. Uh, Rabbi, there's an older representation of menorah, not just Arch of Titus, in Israel itself. And the oldest one they found, it is still, it's still half a circle. So it's not necessarily maybe artistic representation of- uh, This of is true. Building. You're right. I don't say that the guy in, in, in Rome, he gave himself artistic uh, permission to change it. I'm just saying it also could be. But we saw just lately they found a few menorahs. You're right. 99% of the menorahs that they found was half a circle. But just lately they found a few menorahs who are like a diagonal. Just lately, small menorahs. I, I saw one on the news maybe a year or two ago. I should bring it up. But I don't. I was too lazy to do it, but there is one that I saw. In any case, uh, Ed, please continue. And uh, we read it, right? Uh, no. no, 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 go ahead. This is especially true in light of the fact that many aspects of the menorah on the Arch of Titus contradict the descriptions in the Talmud based on our tradition. For example, the Talmud clearly states that the menorah had legs, but the image on the Arch of uh, Titus depicts no such thing. There is no legs on the Arch of Titus, on the menorah that says Arch of Titus. There is no legs there. Mm -hmm. And if it would be, then this is a big important part of the menorah. Go ahead. Some have attempted to explain that being dragged around from Jerusalem to Rome and during the victory procession itself, its legs fell off. That's indeed a nice explanation, but there are other differences as well both in regard to the gold base of the menorah and with regard to the various illustrations, images of animals like a snake, the sun and moon and so on that are depicted on the menorah on the Arch of Titus, which contradict the biblical command that forbids the engraving of celestial bodies. Okay, there is on the menorah in the Arch of Titus, pictures of sun and I think a snake and other things that for sure were not there and the real menorah in Jerusalem, because in Judaism, you're not allowed to make these images, for sure not in the temple. Then we know for sure that this is not the way it looked in the temple. No question about it. And the legs are not there. Then this is not the menorah. That's for sure not the menorah, the original menorah that was in the temple. Um, Steve, you want to continue clearly? Thank you. Clearly the image depicted on the Arch of Titus is not the menorah of the temple being that it contradicts our tradition. It is probably the depiction of a similar menorah. It is very likely that other individuals fashioned candelabras, which somewhat resembled the temple menorah for purposes of decoration, etc., but were obviously not identical to the menorah in every detail. Proof, should I go on? Mm -hmm. Proof of the matter that there were many similar candelabras 
can be brought from Josephus. To preface, despite questions about Josephus's reliability, the Tzemach Tzedek does cite him, but that is not a confirmation of everything he writes. If he describes a situation with no apparent agenda in mind, we can consider it reliable. Josephus describes how a priest brought Titus two golden menorahs. Seemingly, the second temple should have had only one. King Solomon did fashion 10 menorahs, but they did not exist in the second temple. So clearly, the two menorahs brought to Titus were not the menorahs of the temple, but imitations. Okay, Here. then it says, you have, uh, they brought two, two menorahs in the, you know, it's, a, it's a famous, it's written in the Bible that King Solomon made in the, in the courtyards of the temple, he put up 10 menorahs. He had the, men, the original menorah that Moses made, and that was in the, in the first temple, that was inside, and this they were lighting candles. And then for decoration, he put outside in the temple, the courtyard of the temple, he put, he made another 10 menorahs. But in the second temple, it's not written anywhere that they had more menorahs. That if he brings, if high priest wants to please Titus, for whatever reason, I think he wanted to save his life. He's bringing, he's bringing to Titus two menorahs. Obviously, it's not the menorah from the temple if it was only one. Then it's not a surprise that the other menorahs were done differently. Uh, when they continue, there is also... There's also no reason to believe that they fooled Titus into believing that these were the temple menorahs because he too was aware that the Jews were still conducting the temple service, which included the lighting of the menorah. So these were obviously not the temple menorahs. The priest simply wanted to find favor in Titus's eyes. So he brought him beautiful and expensive candelabras that were imitations of the menorah in the temple. As said, not to fool him into thinking that these were the menorahs of the temple, but simply as an expensive bribe. You see, the, when he brought the menorahs to Titus, it was before the destruction of the temple. Then if it's before the destruction of the temple, it didn't, it, it's not like he tried to fool him that he brings him the menorah from the temple. He brought him a beautiful menorah as a gift. Very nice. But it doesn't mean that that's what they look like exactly in the temple. And as I said before, they always try to do things a little different than in the temple. Because it's written, the Torah tells us you're not allowed to make things exactly like in the temple. It's a written law. You're not allowed to make uh, <coughs> the furniture as well as um, the incense. You're not allowed to make them like look in the temple. Then if you, if you did that, they probably did something different, a little different. That's the, that's the logic what's going on. And therefore, the, the written right menorah is the way Maimonides writes it, and Rashi writes it, not necessarily the way. Rabbi, if you want to finish the last piece? Sure. Returning to our discussion, since we have a tradition about the shape of the menorah passed down by Maimonides and Rashi, who received it from their teachers, no eyewitness account can change that. In the words of Mary, the sages did not change their opinion, even in the face of eyewitness testimony. If the arch contradicts our tradition, it is not the actual menorah of the temple at all, rather a depiction of a different menorah. See, the, bad, the bottom line is, just like I spoke about the Holocaust, the best proof that the Holocaust happened is the living witnesses who give over a story. Think about that. In three generations from now, will not be living witnesses. The proof is not the shoes, is not the pictures, is not the, the videos, is not the photos. It's the people who tell the story. And this is true about the menorah. And this is true about every part of Jewish history. It's not what you find. They, for example, they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found lines or verses or words that are a little different from the Bible that we know. Then it became a discussion should we change the Bible? Oh. There is words here, words there are a little different. Not big, big changes, but small changes. Then it became a big discussion that the Rebbe wrote about it. It was in the 60s, the 70s of this, the discussion. The Rebbe said, why is it, we, here we have a tradition. We got the Torah that they got from their parents, from their parents, from their parents. Everybody copied the same thing. 
not one people, ten, not hundred people, thousands of Jews in every part of the world copied the same Bible and came with the same copy. Now you find something in a cave that was there for 2000 years. Who knows why it was there? Maybe it was there because it was not correct and they buried it. You know, you know what Seamus is? You know what we do with a, with a holy book? With a cedar, you're not allowed to throw it away. With film, a mezuzah, you're not allowed to throw it away. What do you do with it? Bury it. Bury it. You bury it, you take it to Mount Aleph. They have a special place. Barry knows about it. And people bring their boxes and boxes of book and they bury it. When you see a Bible that it's not correct, what do you do with it? You bury it. The correct copy, I don't bury, I need to use it. I use it today, I use it tomorrow, my kids are using it until it falls apart. Then by, then by finding, finding something that's, that's buried for 2,000 years, even if it's authentic, it's original from 2,000 years ago, we don't change our tradition because we found something written. Because our tradition is stronger than the book is stronger than evidence. You know, the, the world, you know, who gave us the name, the book, the people of the book? Yeah. It's in the Quran, we are called the people of the book. Yeah. The Jewish people didn't give ourselves the name, the people of the book. It's a nice name, it's a nice compliment, but we are not the people of the book. We are the people of tradition. How we know to believe the book? Because he got it from my parents because they got it from their parents, because they got it from their parents. That's how I know how to understand the book, how to learn the book, how to believe the book. Not because if I found a book in a cave, in a, oh, look, in this book it's written, we don't have to put on film. Oh, you don't understand, let's change the old tradition. So if I found a book that's contradicting me, I'm not changing my tradition. Because my tradition has a tendency all the way to Mount Sinai. Where the book is, I don't know who wrote it. I don't know why he wrote it. I don't know, maybe it was one Meshuggah who decided he's cutting himself away from the Jewish people. There were many, many movements in the Jewish people who decided to be, to, to believe, to believe only the written Torah. There were people, the Karaites, there were this. Every, every 10 generations or another guy who came up with another idea and decided to write his own Judaism. That because I find a, a, a book in a cave, I'm going to change my traditions? Absolutely not. We are the people, look, think about what you do. How you know to do what you do? Because of your tradition. <clears throat> Even the Bible itself. How I know that the etog, it's written in the Bible, you have to take and sukkot the etog. How I know what the etog looks like? Maybe it's a lemon, they look the same. Tradition, it's all about tradition. And the same thing is true about the menorah. And the same thing is about the tzitz. It's the same thing about, we are not the people of the book. We are not the people that anybody else wants to give us names. It's what, Tevye said, traditions. Hmm. Tevye was right about everything. 